You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. We don't have to accept the status quo for what it is. Start gathering information and start questioning whether or not what we've been told for years and years is actually the right answer. Collect your own data, validate it. You know, in some situations, it may be the right answer, but it's not in all. We're joined by Josh Messer, Certified Crop Advisor with Ag Intel Agronomy Consulting in North Dakota. If this is the first time you've listened to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I am a communications consultant and an ag tech geek and the host of this show. I've partnered with the SWAT Maps team on this podcast, and we hope you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in technology. Today, Josh Messer shares about his independent agronomy consulting business. We talk about how he tries to thread the needle between agronomics, economics, equipment, and soil health with his farmer customers. We end up covering quite a bit of ground here, from strip tillage to management zones to his technology stack and even a tangent into soybean phytohormones and everywhere in between. Josh grew up on a farm in North Dakota and started his career in ag retail. And then after taking a national agronomy role, he missed the one-on-one interactions with growers. So he started Ag Intel a few years ago. Before we dive into all things agronomy and technology, Josh starts with a bit of a high-level description on his approach to agronomic consulting. When I think through a process in agronomy, I think in my mind in a decision tree, right? And going or yes and no question and moving your way down that decision tree. And it's just finding the most limiting factor on a farm. And if you just keep asking the why, you know, I've got drought stressed crop. Why? Well, rain, of course, but what else could have helped that compared to a neighbor's field or a different situation, right? And you just keep moving down that pathway to finding that most limiting factor. And a lot of times what led us there is there's things that we need to adjust, but in order to adjust that, we've got to look at ways that we can apply or do the field work in a different manner. So the equipment side of things, we really needed to bring along with the agronomy side because you need that equipment that can do the precise applications or do the proper at applications in order to set that crop up for a success. So it's kind of how we landed there is just every time we'd go through that decision tree and trying to figure out what is the most limiting factor, a lot of times it started with the equipment and we just needed to make some minor tweaks or major tweaks to the equipment in order to start that crop off on the right path, right? So everybody says your seeds got the greatest yield potential in the bag. So once it goes in the ground, now you've set the potential. So getting that potential set perfectly from the get-go is really important. So that's why we saw the need to go that route. And maybe could you walk us through an example of what that might look like? What type of equipment modifications would need to happen? Are we just talking about a way to implement variable rate or what, what types of equipment modifications do you see it coming down to most? Yeah, a lot of times it's it's not even, you know, the variable rate. That That is a crucial portion of it. And a lot of times when you put this technology on any piece of equipment that comes along with it. But a prime example of what we saw for years and years was um, downforce management. Uh, in North Dakota, we can be hot and dry and, you know, 
begging for rain like we are this spring right now, or like last year when we prevent planted 70% of acres in some counties in North Dakota because it was so wet. So we can go from one extreme to the other very quickly. And that downforce management just, it just led us down the road of we've got to do something differently. We were seeing erratic germination, uneven emergence, uh, just sidewall compaction, things of that nature. And we just, we had had enough. It's like, we started down the path of like, okay, before the whole, you know, hydraulic downforce technology came to market, we started down the path of strip till because we viewed strip till as a way to alleviate a lot of those downforce problems. We create that garden bed seed environment. It's dried out in the spring. It's warmed up in the spring. Yet when it does rain, the water infiltrates very effectively. And it allowed us to manage our fertility in a lot different manner. So the strip till led us down that path to all right, now we've got that perfect emergence, but then we just needed to go that next route. So that's when I started getting into looking at planter technology and air seeders and things of that nature, just to say, what's the next step in getting us to that next level of perfection at the planting pass? So it's agronomic problems, but it pointed us to more mechanical or you know equipment technology to get that started. And then there's another dimension that factors in here, which is, you know, the economic aspect too, right? So like you can continue to refine and perfect and invest in more and more and more equipment, but you always have to know along the way, like the ROI is going to be there. So how do you handle that when you're like, I know this will help, but I'm sure what, you know, your farmer customers wondering is like, okay, well, like what's the ROI? What am I going to spend and what am I going to get from it? How do you go about determining that? Yeah, it's a question I get a lot. It's like, you know, we put all these bells and whistles on this planter and all of a sudden we don't get any rain, you know, or, you know, what's the payback on this stuff? Because, I mean, these bells and whistles are expensive. It's a really hard thing to to invest in and just expect that ROI really quickly. It depends on the environment or the situation that you're in. So a lot of times what, again, I'll go to is that decision tree of where's your most limiting factor, right? And what's What's the budget that you're willing to spend on an equipment investment? If you look at my Twitter page, about 60% of what goes on my Twitter page is probably about strip till. We grow row crops up here in North Dakota. We're a long ways from the I states, but it's a great rotation for us. So the strip till, what I tell guys, can take a poor planner and make it a pretty well-performing planner just by going to strip till. Now, not all strip till is created equal. You've got to make sure that it's not just that nice black, pretty strip on the top. It's got to have the structure and the and the shape underneath the ground, and the fertility's got to be placed right in that. So, so a lot of times it's that conversation of okay, maybe we need to look at going to strip till prior to putting all these bells and whistles on your planter because a it's probably going to eliminate a lot of tillage for you, uh, which is a good thing. B it's going to help you reduce your fertility costs. And it's going to take that planner and make it perform a lot better. So maybe that's the first step that we need to take in increasing your profitability. And now as needed, we can add things to the planner to get to that next level. And yeah, that doesn't work in small grains. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't work. We have been trying it, been testing it in the field. So uh, we did a strip till trial with wheat last year and I'm extremely impressed with the root mass that we can put on spring wheat in a strip. Do you narrow the strips at all or how does that work exactly? We didn't. We just put 30 inch strips in and we actually used the strip tiller itself to put the wheat in. 
We were trying to do a relay crop with that situation. Granted, we ran out of moisture last year, hot and dry. So the soybeans that we put into that relay did not make it. But the wheat that we put into there, we had 50% of the inputs in on those strips. And we were only five bushel off of the actual air seeded acres. So it's promising. This was just kind of a fly-by-night, you know, let's just try it thing. Not really set up to do what we wanted to do, but let's just give it a whirl. And, I mean, we liked what we saw. So I think there is some potential in that. I would like to see a narrower strip than the 30-inch spacing just to help canopy. But there's also that aspect of light interception and being able to grow more plants, kind of that sideways reaching out for sunlight. Very cool. Now, that's an interesting one. Let's go back to your, you know, your kind of decision tree. And so you're walking through with an individual grower. What's the limiting factor? What's kind of the bottleneck? And then you're going to address that problem. So does that mean you kind of, you kind of address one problem at a time? Because I know, you know, this is a system. So you've got to look at it holistically. How do you decide kind of what to attack and when? How do you approach that? It becomes kind of complex depending on the situation, because a lot of times if you make one decision, it's going to force you down the path of others. Ultimately, the most important aspect is understanding the situation you're dealing with, having that base foundation of information. And that comes down to the soil, right? Like it's everything we work with. That is your foundation that you're going to make the decisions on. And it's what brought me to SWAT maps. I had been making zones early in my career just off of imagery and things and never did like them, um, but it's what was available. And why didn't you like them? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Because I was not seeing the responses in a consistent manner. Statistically, if you'd look at it, the the responses to a fertility application just never was consistent from year to year. And it's because if we were using imagery, right, that's a dynamic thing. It changes from year to year. So therefore, your responses to fertility and things like that are going to change from year to year. Granted, they always do, but not from one extreme to the other. So... I had looked at various machines and some other mapping systems that were out there in the market, but I just, I didn't like the idea of a Varus because number one, it's ground engaging, it's time consuming, it's expensive. And it also was dependent on moisture for what that information was given to you. So I didn't like using that concrete number. So I essentially just went to making a topography model and using water flow accumulation to create zones for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden I stumbled on SWAT maps and was looking at what Corey and his team were doing with it. And I'm like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Somebody that's not just relying on the EC data as a number, like this is going to categorize it. It's let's normalize it. Let's use that topography and let's map your soil textures in high definition. And it had been something I'm looking for. I was trying to figure out how to do it myself. I'm like, why would I do that when I could just plug this into my, my business? So that's why I love SWAT maps and why I went down that path. And again, it's that foundation, right? Everything on the farm can be tied back to that management zone because we're sampling the soils in your field in high definition. So we know exactly where your soil texture changes are. We know where the water flows. So now when it comes to monitoring fertility responses, seed responses, compaction issues. Everything is zone-based. You can tie it back to a management zone and you can consistently see, statistically, it's relevant on those things in fields and from field to field in the same region. 
And if you're going to get started working with a new farmer, walk us through the process of, you already mentioned the decision tree, sit down, find the bottleneck, and then what are you going to do to go out and get a baseline data? Obviously, maybe start with SWOT, but then what else are you doing to kind of get started? So when I sit down with a grower, I've got three things that I really want to know. I want to know what their crop rotation is. I want to know what their equipment lineup is and what the capabilities and equipment is because I need to know what we can do or what we may need to change going forward. And the third thing is I want to know what their most challenging field is. The one that they just can't figure out or the one they just don't understand. And that's the field that I'm going to start with. If I'm just getting a trial run with that grower, I want their most challenging field. I don't want their best field. I don't want their average field. I want their most challenging field so that I can show them that understanding all your soil zones in a field and making the right decisions, even though we aren't going to have that pretty high yield number, they could still be profitable on that acre. And then, uh, you know, walk us through kind of your process as far as the technology you use to kind of get started and, you know, doing what you do. Because I know you're a tech guy, so I'm sure your tech stack has evolved over time. It has. It seems that it's evolved, but also gotten messier at the same time. Uh, because there's, there's not one program that does it all, right? So it's trying to find each widget, if you want to call it, that plugs into the business that helps me. So the first thing I'm going to talk to him about is what kind of data we have? What are we looking at? What are we working with? So I can begin to understand, you know, what yield levels they're at or what applications they've been making and the precision of those applications. And a lot of times, most guys' data is pretty messy. It's never been cleaned hasn't been calibrated or it's partial. So I really try to work on with guys is collecting that data. And I think because it's always been messy in the past and nobody really likes working with it, that's why it doesn't get utilized. But once you get a farm set up with actually bringing that data in and having it clean, complete and organized, that's when you really start to leverage the information and be able to run analytics against it to learn something, right? It's not always whole field or whole farm situations of bringing all that data and saying, oh, yeah, this is what happened. It's, it's that spatial, those small micro environments of diving into there and saying, here's the response we saw there and figuring out the why. I don't like looking at something like, well, this is the environment we had. This is what happened. That's just what happened. I want to know the why. And I, I will go deep down the rabbit hole a lot of times. Um, <laughs> Just yesterday, I was on the phone with a good friend of mine, and we were talking about phytohormones in soybeans. Soybeans have been a challenging thing for us in North Dakota. We just cannot get over that that ceiling of yield, even under irrigation. And we know it's not fertility. We're just, is it just the environment? Or is it sunlight? Is it solar radiation? Is it rainfall? What is it that we're dealing with with soybeans that we just can't get over that yield plateau? And right now, we're going down the rabbit hole of it could be phytohormones and what that plant is producing and reacting to. So it's fun that way to keep diving in deeper and deeper. And for something like that, like what data do you turn to, to, to try to determine if that might be what your bottleneck is? It's in field data, like the observations and the things that record. I try to record all my observations and I'll plead with every scouting app out there right now that you need to have scouting observations tied back to management zones because if you can run analytics on scouting observations on management zones in an easy analytical platform 
you're going to own the market. Right now, Corey's done a great job of putting that in there. You can see those things with the zones and tying stuff back, taking pictures on emergence things. But what I'm talking about is spatial, like spatial observations that tie back to those management zones automatically because once you start doing that, you can really start to leverage and see the consistency of things and observations that you see from field to field and from zone one to zone one or zone five to zone five and so on. So um, that's really, really where I want to see that going. But that's, for the most part, that's where most of it comes from is the initial part is that observation in the field scouting and then saying, okay, what do we need to do to dive in deeper? And a lot of times it's a tissue sampling program to, to see that trend line of where did we turn that corner, right? At what point did we just say, nope, we're going backwards on this or nope, we're going upwards on this. So you got to start with foundation Again, ties back to the soil, the response zones. I mean, we could probably call them response zones rather than SWAT zones or soil zones, but uh, you got to start with that foundation and then build out from there. What are you using to tie all this data in together? And is there another source of data other than your field observations that you're having trouble kind of integrating together? Um, so I try to get everything set up so we collect the data from the machinery. So that machinery going through what is my John Deere, Farm Mobile, FieldView, all those likes. Um, I try to get that data collected and make sure it's clean coming in application data, everything like that. So I could tie it back to soil test. I do my scouting observations. The biggest downfall in ag tech right now is tying all that information together to be able to go out and run analytics, compound analytics against all that information, right? So if I had an application of potassium chloride in a zone five in a cornfield and I saw potassium deficiency in that spot, well, why, right? So if I can run other zones with that same crop, that same rate in that same situation or that same field and say, well, I got a response here, but I didn't get a response here. Now I can go to the next step and find out why, right? Is it diving deeper into the soil test values? Is it diving deeper into water infiltration? What caused that scenario? And right now it's, it's just longhand, right? It's just pointing and pecking and running through papers and spreadsheets in order to figure out what's going on. And we need that analytical tool that can just pull all that information and find correlations and the frequency of that correlation to say whether or not it's a valid, statistically significant correlation. With everything you're doing, I mean, and obviously serving your customers is top priority. What's your vision for your business or how do you grow your business, you know, while still providing the level of service for the standard you've already set? Yeah, so that's been a very difficult inner process with myself is how do I grow my business? Am I just happy with doing what I'm doing and working with the core group of guys that I am? And a short answer is no. Um, I want to be able to help all growers walk this path. But, you know, I'm only one person and I can only do so many things. So it's why I partner with people like Corey and the SWAT maps team, just because it's it's a simple process. Like I map the field, they process and kick it back to me. It makes my life easier, right? And it also plugs me into a lot more people, a lot more uh, thought processes, you know, to bounce my ideas off other people. And it's also why I work with Jason 
Sly, Bodie, Kitchell, you know, and the Next Level Ag team and our 365 platform that we kind of come up with. Think of it as like a virtual agronomist is what our hopes are, is for guys to be able to plug into this platform where all their soil tissue sample information is and they can have access to experts in all cases. Like Jason by far is the expert on soil tests, soil fertility, understanding those correlations and those relationships. So my growers can plug into that platform and ask Jason the question, anything they want. Um, if it's around equipment, precision egg technology and trying to implement those types of things, they can plug into me from anywhere in the nation and, and ask those questions. So I think that's going to be the future is having teams of people from across the nation that are experts in their fields and tying them all together in a platform to where a guy can plug into there and say, Hey, I've got this question and it goes to the right person and it can get answered. That's, it's how you can touch more farms and more acres without having to physically be there. So hopefully that really starts to take off so far. It's been great. Um, I've met a lot of people, talked to a lot of people from all over. So it's helped me grow my business without having to actually add more physical labor. So how much more can technology help in that area? It's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the question about genetics, like how far can genetics go before it's got to be something else, right? So for, for you in, in growing your business, if you had the right technology, could you double your acreage uh, with just you or just curious kind of how you see that? I think it depends on what that technology is. I think in a lot of aspects, yeah, I could probably double my business in certain aspects if the technology was built. Uh, say, for instance, script writing. You know, if I had my templates set up to where I had the products in there, my soil test values were fed into there, and I know what crop is going to go into there, and just an automated system that builds those scripts, I think I could easily double my acres in doing that. But right now, it's, you know, you got to do one field at a time, make sure things are coming out. Sometimes the technology doesn't work and it errors or something like that. I think in those aspects, I really could. But in other aspects of validating things in the field, I know there's a lot of algorithms and things out there that are learning and, you know, we're able to identify weeds on the fly and things um, on sprayers and that type of imagery technology. Those things are all great. I think there's value in that, but I still think that that data layer is going to require a boots on the ground agronomist because, you know, we observe something in the field. We've got to know the why we observe that, like what's causing that situation in the field. And an algorithm is, it's just that, right? It's, it's an algorithm. It's, it's not going to know every answer because that's what I love about agronomy, right? There's always the answer of, well, it depends. And you got to dive deeper and dive deeper. And that's what's challenging, but also the most fun about the job. Very cool. And do you work with irrigated acres as well? I do, yes. So when I expanded my business after leaving the uh, national agronomy role, I actually took on some acreage that was in the irrigation area. And that presented a challenge all in itself, but it's funny because as I walk down this path of growing my business and meeting more people, everybody's just plugging into that system and everybody's kind of coming together as the same team. So when I went independent consulting, I'd met Jason Schley at the lab and he's like, all right, this is the information I needed with soil tests and understanding soils and understanding that they're more dynamic. It's not just a chemical process, it's a physical and biological process. 
So I got the right information there. I was like, okay, how do we make that more precise information? And that's where the SWAT maps thing kind of plugged in. And then when I started working with irrigation, I was searching through and trying to find the best way to help guys manage their water better. And that's when I stumbled on crop metrics and crop X. And through that, I met a lot of guys that now are on the 365 team and working with Jason's lab. And now the SWAT water thing has come to fruition. And now that's going to help me manage my water better. So it's, it's fun that every path I've been led down in my business, everything is kind of tying together. So the water management thing is fun, but it's also challenging. Guys have just been, you know, turn the irrigators on, really don't turn them off until the crop is done. And it's never been that we're not watering enough. It's usually we're watering too much and sending the crop backwards. So it's been fun to get the technology out there and having swap maps plus the soil moisture probes doing that water management has really been powerful. Well, this has been great. If you were to think about, you know, if you could get on a soapbox in a, in a room full of uh, your fellow agronomists, what topics haven't we touched on that you think would be important to talk about still? I, I think I'd start off by telling a group of agronomists, like, we don't have to accept the status quo for what it is. Start gathering information and start questioning whether or not what we've been told for years and years is actually the right answer. Collect your own data, validate it. You know, in some situations, it may be the right answer, but it's not in all. So what things do we need to start looking at to say, you know what, this doesn't make sense or we're not looking at enough things to make the correct decision. So that's one of the things that I've really been passionate about and really dove into the data to validate it is the fertility recommendations that are out there are in dire need of some updating, I think. I've never been a fan of building soil levels and fertility, specifically because it's only focused on that chemical portion of the soil test. Like we're just gonna get the PPM to this level. And if you talk to guys that do that, that their yields go up and up and up and up and all of a sudden they plateau. And then all of a sudden they start diving down. And it's because we've overloaded the chemical processes of that soil and we have ignored the biological processes and then our physical characteristics of that soil. So all three of those have to be concentrated on in order to make the right recommendations that are going to take us down the path of soil health, profitability, and higher yields. So I guess that would be my first soapbox I would probably jump on. Challenge the status quo. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You mentioned kind of validating. So do you run on-farm trials throughout the growing season about, you know, looking at new products for your growers? Yes. Yeah, we do. Um, we'll test products. We'll test rates. Um, we'll test responses. Just last year, I had Bodie Kitchell up here for a day and we went and drove around to some fields and I showed him some management blocks where we had shut fertility off, right? Like where the the normal recommendation of potassium said we don't need any potassium in this zone where the next level egg labs one said no we actually need some in here because there's other things going on in this soil that are not going to return that potassium to you and it was a night and day difference those management blocks are easy to implement and i encourage every agronomist like 
all your agronomy softwares, you have that ability to put management blocks in there to where it just goes to a zero rate or it goes to a double rate, just those small areas and different zones that you can do that. And it's so powerful. It, you can learn so many things in those situations. So that's one of the biggest tools that I use is setting up those management blocks, walking the fields, pulling tissue and pulling soil to better understand why we got that sort of response. If you're given the opportunity to go back and farm full time, is it something that you see yourself ever doing or are you just having too much fun uh, doing what you're doing? <laughs> so so every spring I, I, I would always try to have all my maps and everything made for my growers and I would get it delivered early March. So the guys were ready to go, had their planters calibrated, had their air seeders calibrated. So we're ready to hit the fields so that I could come back to the home farm and help run planter, right? And the last few years, I haven't done it. And the two years prior to that, I had done it and I enjoyed tractor time. You know, it's, it's nice. You're out there in the field, it's relaxing. But then about two days in, I'm like, I'm bored. Like, this is the same monotonous thing over and over, pass to pass. Like, I need to be out there digging in more and following planners and making sure guys, things are set right and things are performing well. So I think maybe eventually once my mind slows down in an older age, I might retire from agronomy and maybe do some farming back at the family farm. But uh, for the time being, I think I'm doing what I love to do and what I need to do. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much to Josh Messer for taking the time to share so openly on the show. And hey, we're just getting started here with this podcast. So please make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is you use, we'll be there. If you have any recommendations for guests or topics or questions, please just tweet them by using the hashtag SWAT Agronomy.